It's the Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva. And for the vacationing Joe Bono, it's Jim Mojo Morrison. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, if you want to listen to the show live or replay, go to weekendwatchdogs.com. Send us a tweet at Mike Silva Media, at Jim Mojo Morrison. And go to the Weekend Watchdogs Facebook page, as well as check us out on iTunes. Uh, this is our end of summer party. No beach, no beach balls, but uh, joining me for the third week in a row, a little bit of a different show. We're going to see if, you know, we may just go commercialist today, Mojo, because it seems like Blog Talk Radio has decided to take Saturday during our show as an opportunity to do some updating, but we're here. We're ready to rock, and if we need to do two hours with no guests or lots of guests or no music, we can do it. Mojo, thanks a lot. How you doing, my friend? We're doing great. We're going to have guests, Mike. We, it, 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 second hour, we are jam-packed. Uh, our uh, Iron Eagle scheduled to join us at about 11, and we've got Ralph Facciano, SNY, New York Daily News, probably around 11, 20, 11, 25. So you, you and I will get to the Snoopy Bowl. We will get to the uh, heart and soul of the NFL uh, in hour number two. Uh, I'm, I'm really pumped for that. Uh, not so much the Snoopy Bowl, but just basically kind of getting the NFL uh, done for the preseason. Because after this week, you know, you've got that walkthrough that they call preseason game four on Thursday and Friday. And then after that, basically, uh, you get ready for week number one. Steelers and Patriots on the 10th, and then the Jets and Giants uh, will be going on the 13th on that first uh, Sunday uh, of week number one uh, in the National Football League. So I'm, I'm pumped for that. Got lots going on. Uh, personally, doing a lot of high school, college, uh, finishing up baseball season. And I guess we'll get to baseball, too, in this hour, Mike. Uh, but I, I kind of I don't want Joe to get mad at us right now because right. I know it, sure. this is something near and dear to his heart. He's already taken the New York Post to task. So I think that we right. kind of need to step and take a few moments to remember uh, the passing of the Hall of Fame coach of the New York Islanders, the legendary Al Arbor, uh, who uh, passed away at the age of 82. Uh, Arbor, perhaps the uh, leader, the coach of one of the greatest uh, teams of all time. I mean, you look at that team, Mike, 19 consecutive uh, playoff wins uh, in the National Hockey League. That's just amazing That's to do it in the era that yeah, they did it real with tough. the players that they have. Uh, I mean, 1,500 games coached, uh, second all-time winning uh, NHL head coach. I mean, basically the face of the franchise, the guy that took an expansion franchise in its infancy out on Long Island, and it was the laughing stock of hockey uh, for the beginning part of, of its uh, existence, and he turned it into perhaps – the second greatest team in New York history. I mean, you have the Yankees eras, you know, the 40s and the 50s when they won all those consecutive world titles. Uh, I think that that Islander team has to be given that type of consideration when you look at the players on it and you look at what they had to do to accomplish what they did. I mean, Al Arbor, I mean, you know, 82 years old, uh, left us, uh, but, you know, he will not be forgotten, especially by Islander fans. So on August 29th, where this summer is way too short, Mojo, way too short. I mean, it seems like the 4th of July was yesterday, where you have the Mets in first about to put their feet down on the throats of the Nationals. Yankees still hanging in there in a, uh, in a race. You have, you know, football around the corner. And look, NHL and NBA aren't too far away, but we are, here we are talking Al Arbor. We're talking Islanders hockey, and Joe's not on the show. I'm prou- I'm, listen, this is a big step, considering, by the way, 
now that Joe is heavily involved in the Isles blog come this uh, off season, well, our, not off season, but their season and off season for baseball, what have you, um, would there still be uh, the restriction on hockey until January? There's, you know, I, I haven't changed my position, but I'll lift it today to talk about Al Arbor because you're right. You know what, Mojo, in all seriousness, you're right. The Islanders dynasty is right up there, you know, winning those series in hockey. And I, I'm trying to remember who it was that it might have been Gretzky that said this, but after beating Edmonton in one of those series, I can't remember who it was, the opponent. They walked by, or maybe it was a writer, they walked by the Islanders' locker room during that fourth Stanley Cup after winning another series, and they saw how beaten up and how shot that team was, and they realized at that point the toll it had taken and how difficult the task that this whole, uh, you know, four Stanley Cups in a row was. And you don't hear about the Islanders. You don't hear about them like the, the, the Yankees. You, you, when you talk about dynasties in New York, um, sometimes you hear about the Giants in their recent two Super Bowls in a span of four years, which is not really a dynasty when it, when it comes down to it. The Islanders' dynasty, maybe because they were on Long Island, on Long Island during an era where Long Island is far more developed today, Mojo, I think you would agree, than it was back then. I mean, this is almost like, the hockey version of the Brooklyn Dodgers when you hear people talk about it. And if you watch the John Spano documentary a couple of years ago, uh, Kevin Connolly of Entourage, you know, actor, has done a ton of stuff and, uh, you know, did a great job with that, with that documentary, that 30 for 30. That's how it was on Long Island. Now, I'm too young to appreciate it. I grew up in Brooklyn. I was a young kid. In 1984, I was seven years old. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm basically not able to comprehend anything when it comes to the Islanders. You're a little older than me. I feel like not only does it get overlooked, but we talk about the Brooklyn Dodgers. We talk about Brooklyn and the connection with Gil Hodges and how Gil Hodges would be walking down the street watching kids play stickball back in the 50s or Don Drysdale or whatever it may be. We don't talk about the Islanders in the same way. And really, Mojo, it, am I wrong in saying if you lived in Nassau or Suffolk County in 1982, there was a good chance you'd run into Mike Bossy or Brian Trache or even Al Harper? Mike, you hit it, the nail right on the head in, in that uh, analysis. It, it, it was, and it is. I mean, I grew up a Ranger fan, and I love the blue shirts. Uh, my uncle took me when I was a kid. I met Jim Gordon, the late uh, Rangers play-by-play announcer, who used to do giant games as well. Uh, my uncle worked in media, and I, I, I fell in love with the New York Rangers. But the irony of the whole Islanders, and I've told you this story before, my dad, back in the 1972 uh, playoffs, when the uh, Flyers and the Rangers faced off and Dale Rolfe, a Ranger uh, defenseman, got pummeled by Dave Schultz in a fight, and the Ranger guys stood by and watched it. My father swore off the Rangers for the rest of his life, and he passed uh, a couple of years ago. And we always rooted for the same team. But when it came to hockey, my dad jumped on that Islander bandwagon in 72 and rode it all the way through. And we always were at odds. And when they were winning those Stanley Cups, my dad would rub it in my face. And he had a good friend who was a Nassau County uh, police officer. And, you know, they would go at it with me all the time when it came, it came to hockey. And Al Arbor... Mike Bossy, Potman, Trottier, I mean, Clark Gillies, Bobby Nystrom, Billy, that, that whole era of greatness. And you're right, it was like the equivalent of Brooklyn 
uh, Dodgers and the, the, it was part of the community. And that's why, you know, I know Joe's all excited about this transition from Long Island to Brooklyn, but it's like what Walter O'Malley once told Robert Moses when he wanted to move the Dodgers to Flushing to where City Field is currently and Shea Stadium used to be uh, constructed. Once you take me out of Brooklyn, I am no longer the Brooklyn Dodgers. I might as well go to California because it's never going to be the same. And I think that the Islander fans, right now they don't realize it, but moving that team out of Long Island and putting it in Brooklyn, it is no longer the New York Islanders. It's got the name still, Mike, and I, and I agree with you. I think we're going to see these subtle you know, changes of uniforms and maybe even logos down the road because it's all about marketing and, and, and money and everything else. And losing Al Arbor is just another piece of that – nostalgia of what the Islanders were. And it's a sad day. As an Islander uh, fan, you've got to be sad because now another piece of your glory right. days is, is no longer there for you well, to draw the Brooklyn, upon. They're the Brooklyn Hockey Club now, Mojo. They're not the Islanders anymore, right? They're the Brooklyn Hockey Club. Right. Just like Dodger fans, you know, the people in Brooklyn have been waiting for the Dodgers to come home for, for 50-something years now. I mean, since they left. I mean, it's, you know, the Dodgers, you see them when they come to, to New York to play the uh, Yankees in the World Series back in the 70s and early 80s. You see them when they come and play the Mets uh, in New York. But it's not the same. It's not the same. You don't have the guys living out on Long Island anymore. You, it's just not the same, Mike, and it, it will never be the same. And, you know, it, it's just uh, that magic of sports and what makes sports great, it's not going to be there anymore. And, you know, it, it, it's sad because, you know, you really enjoy sports for those little uh, subtitles and those little, uh, you know, sidebars that you get with these players living in the community. It's not there anymore on Long Island now that they're gone. And, you know, losing this Hall of Fame coach yesterday. I kind of, you know, I mean, not that pa anyone passing is, it, it's just, you know, a, a symbol of, you know, the end of the era out there. It's now over. I mean, and, and, and as an Islander fan, you got to be a little bit sad. And you, you look at, and this is something because I think a lot of individuals who listen to our show may be younger, maybe in my age group, I'm 38, but I try to have a, a pretty good appreciation for history. You talk about the 69 Mets, an expansion team in seven years that won the World Series, one of the quickest at that time to win the, the World Series. Uh, 30 years later, you had um, the Florida Marlins in year four spend money and win the World Series. And everybody talks about that. Um, the Islanders lost 60 games their first year. The 60 yeah. games. Then they lost, they were 1941 and 18. They were eighth in the East when Al Arbor took over in 73-74. Third year, they're third in the Norris Division. Fourth year, they're second in the Norris Division. Now they're a semifinalist team. You know, by 1979, that's seven years in, they not only win a Stanley Cup, but Mojo, they, win, they become a dynasty. They, they become, uh, in that era, the Montreal Canadiens or the Toronto yeah. Maple Leafs. And let's put it this way. Rangers, friend or not, and I don't have any skin in the game. I'll root for both teams. Four Stanley Cups. You're a Rangers fan from 1979 to 1983. Uh, when they win their final Stanley Cup, and then they go to the finals in 83-84, and they're shot at that point, and they lose uh, to an upstart Edmonton team. The Islanders do, not only what the Rangers at that time were trying to do in, in almost you know, four, in 40 years, um, they do it four times in a row. It's, it's an interesting type of situation because the aristocracy, the Yankees, so to speak, of, the, of that sport, because they're the established team, 
uh, are put completely to the side. And the Islanders, I think, are the more popular team. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I remember as a kid, there was more Islanders talk than Rangers talk, uh, even though the Rangers had more panache, even though at that point, because of the garden and what, had, what have you. Well, we didn't have sports talk radio back uh, at that era. Uh, but, yes, the Islanders were the, the, the creme de creme of, of New York sports. I mean, they were right there. Baseball was struggling. I mean, the Mets were, were terrible at that, at, at that point. The Yankees, I call it the, you know, were ending that 70s era, you know, where George was, you know, you had the firing of the managers. 81 was the end of the Yankees. Yankees went from 81 at the end of that when they lost to the Dodgers in the, in the strike uh, year World Series up until 96 with Tory, I mean, they basically, I call that the Stump Merrill era, uh, era the, you know, the Yankees of the Stump Merrill 80s. They didn't do anything. The Mets were, were just starting the resurgence. The Double Days and Wilpons uh, came in and bought the team. So that was what New York sports hung their hat on, was the, the Islanders. And the sad part about it was, it was simply out there in Long Island. That was their team. You know, while people outside of the island were taking notice they weren't their team it was long island's team they belonged to nassau suffolk county you know in the parts of queens out there that, that could get into uh long island and, and and the guys and you know they were the island's team they were their guys it was a big story in new york because of what they did and how they accomplished it uh, it, was, it was amazing. I mean, it really was, Mike. And, I, you know, I despised it at the time. I rooted against it with all my heart and soul as a Ranger fan. But now as a sportscaster, a journalist, a guy that can sit back and appreciate greatness uh, for greatness, what it is. I mean, what Al Arbor and that Islander team did, like I said, you have to look at it to those 50s and 40s Yankee teams, those dynasty teams of greatness, because the players were all the same, Mike. You look at the, you know, these teams today, it's the uniform that wins the title. You know, you look at this Met team and how it's been transformed in, in a month with Cespedes and Uribe and Johnson. It's the uniform that's winning. You know, they bring these guys in and half of them are going to be gone if they happen to win the thing. With the Islanders from a year in and year out basis, those same guys were your guys that won. You had an identity to them. You, you knew a lot of them because they lived next door to you or they went to the supermarket with you. It, it, it's just a different time and a different era. It, it was magical. I mean, that's just the best word and, to and use. And, Mojo, would you agree, and this goes back to uh, Al Arbor, and you know what I've read about him is that the Islanders were not a team that was going to falter in the third period. They weren't going to be tired. Now, think about this. You win four Stanley Cups in a row. You go to the finals, and you lose to Edmonton that fifth, that fifth year. That's when the, the, the dynasty was ending. They were starting to show their age. And you think about the single hardest thing a team can do in sports is probably any sport winning a championship. You know, despite what people in this town think about the Yankees and the pinstripes, the Yankees have failed in their history 75% of the time, and they're considered the class of maybe any of the four major sports in this town. Now you take the Islanders winning four in a row. Even with the Yankees winning with round after round after round in the late 90s, I think this just shows you in any sport, like you said, 19 series in a row, how hard is it for you to stay together, keep a team together, stay healthy, stay focused, avoid the Pat Riley, the disease of me, avoid bad breaks. I mean, think about it, Mojo. How many times have you watched series, Mets, Dodgers, for example, uh, you know, even a couple of years ago when the Rangers played the Kings in the finals, the Rangers got hardly any breaks in that series. Everything went against them. Um, 
so, you know, they got all the breaks, yes, but they were able to, uh, from a marathon standpoint, from a resiliency standpoint, not give in. That shows a mentally tough team, a team that's well-conditioned. And if you don't have those two components, and that starts with your coach and with your organizational philosophy, you're not going to win one championship, much less four. So I know we're kind of you know, staying on the topic a little bit and throwing bouquets here, but I think it's important in today's modern sports world where it's really fantasy baseball and you're an asset. It's about this year, and you and I talk about this all the time. It's about this year. Uh, you appreciate the fact that, and who knows what we'll see with the Mets, you appreciate the fact that there are still some teams, the Yankees in the 90s, who are mercenary-driven in, in a lot of ways. But this was not a mercenary-driven team. This was a team built literally from scratch, from nothing, in the suburbs of New York when Long Island was a cow town, Mojo. I, 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 lived, I moved out here in 2004. It was already developed. I started coming out Long Island consistently in the late 90s. It was just starting to be developed. In 1982, there was still farmland out here. So that's the amazing part. You're able to get a team of this kind of level, this kind of, uh, of, of status in the country, not New York City, in the country when you think about it all those years ago. Am I wrong in saying that? I, I, no, you were 100% right, Mike. And they enjoyed being there. They took pride in being there. They were Long Island. They were that team. They were their team. They were Islanders. And that's why, you know, the whole Brooklyn thing, it makes me chuckle with everybody being excited about that or certain people in Brooklyn being excited about it because you're not getting the New York Islanders anymore. You know, and I I guess we'll just wrap it up. Like you said, we are throwing bouquets, but Al Arbor deserves as many bouquets as could be thrown at him. The man lived a a, a long and prosperous life, 82 years old, uh, second all-time winningest coach in NHL history. I I really, you know, thought it was a a fitting tribute when they brought him out of retirement in November of 2007 to coach that 1500th game with the Islanders. Uh, I mean, you just can't give him enough accolades. You know, a Hall of Famer, uh, true and true. And not only was he a Hall of Fame coach, he was a Hall of Fame leader and mentor. Uh, you talk to the former players, they just absolutely loved playing for Al Arbor. He was tough, but he was fair. He, he was a great tactician. I remember they had to change the rule where he used to take the goalie out uh, and sub, used to give goalies warm-ups when you sub goalies. And when he felt in, you know, to get an extra timeout, he would bring the goalie in. And, you know, he had Chico Resch and Billy Smith and Ray Roly Melanson uh, backing up Billy Smith when they moved on uh, from Chico. And he would bring in the goalie, and they'd sit there for a minute shooting pucks so that he could ream out the team. And the next thing you know, everything changed, and the Islanders started. And, 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 they, and they would, the whole game would flip on that, on that you know, illegal timeout as it is now. You can't get a minute to warm up the goalie when you bring him in. Uh, they changed that rule. You bring him in, he comes in off the bench cold. Because Arbor used to take full advantage of that at key moments of games where he used to bring the goalie in for the warm-up, a split it, and then put the, the regular goalie back in uh, you know, soon after that so it was just the guy did so many amazing things and was a great coach and uh you know it's sad that he passed uh and you know the end of a era even further now for the new york islanders as uh we pay tribute today uh to the former uh new york islander head coach who is uh passed at the age of 82 all right we're going to try to take a break here we can't promise we may have to go audio list but we're going to give it a shot the number is 646-716-8187 if you want to give us a call Want to remember Al Arbor, you know, maybe some of those early 80s Islanders. We're going to be talking baseball after the break. And now we'll talk about your favorite manager, Mike, who probably will never be confused for the success of Al Arbor. 
No, not at all. And, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's, I'm going to start with an interesting comment because I, I'm going right, to go we'll back do it, to we'll what, do it when we come what back. Bob Clapp said last week. But if you want to give us a call, the number is 646-716-8187. You could go to the Twitter feed at Mike Silva Media, at Jim Mojo Morrison, or listen to us live on replay at WeekendWatchClub.com. Stay tuned, 11 o'clock. We have a great second hour of football. Ian Eagle of CBS, Ralph, Ralph Vacchiano of the New York Daily News. You can also see Ralph on SNY. So the Snoopy Bowl, which is almost the celebration of the end of the preseason and the you know, a little warm-up to the start of the football season here in New York, so we'll talk about that. But you are listening to the Weekend Watch Dogs, Mike Silva, and Jim Mojo Morrison subbing in for the vacationing Joe Bono. We'll be right back. It's the Weekend Watch Dogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Every Saturday between 10 and noon, Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the Weekend Sports with a New York slant. A one-stop shop of quality commentary, hard-hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to WeekendWatchDogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Don't miss it. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Mike Silva and Jim Mojo Morrison in for the vacation. Joe Bono sent us a tweet at Mike Silva Media at Jim Mojo Morrison. Check us out on iTunes, uh, the Weekend Watchdogs Facebook page. And Mojo, let me move over to baseball here in a minute. And I'm going to give you now, last week, Bob Clapper, for the record, was on and said that the Nationals were dead. And I, I, I hate hearing talk from Mets fans about. Dynasties, because you hear them talk about they're starting to say stuff like this and and playoffs. And to me, the baseball season, especially for a team that's in the position the Mets are in, you go out. The old Mariano Duncan. Remember Mariano Duncan on the '96 Yankees? You play today. I remember him very well. You play today. You win today. You move on. It's a grind. You win today. You know what? You beat the Phillies nine five. Great. Put it in the books to quote Howie Rose. You move on. Focus on today. Keep building this up. Keep pushing pushing to be great, win those challenges, those test series. Mets lost the test series a couple of weeks ago against the Pirates, but they did what they had to do, and they reminded me of the 06 team uh, who went out to Arizona and L.A. and Philadelphia middle of the season in 2006, went on like a 9-1 road trip, and they never looked back. And I don't know if the Mets at this point can say they're not going to look back, but I'm going to give you a quote that if I am a fan of the Washington Nationals, and all week on MLB radio, um, there's various uh, Washington Nationals sycophants saying, well, this can't be. They're too good. They have Bryce Harper. They have Scherzer. They have pitching. They have all that winning they've done. They're going to have to turn on the engine finally. They're going to kick it into gear. Here's what Bryce Harper said back on August 27th, earlier this week, somewhere around there. Um, when he was asked about the Mets and the Mets winning in the six-and-a-half game lead of the Nationals, here's what Bryce Harper told the New York Times. I really don't care. If we don't win, it really doesn't matter. We've just got to keep winning ball games. If something happens and we don't make it, it's part of the game. We've just got to keep playing hard and play to the end. If that isn't, now, there are sanitized quotes. Keep in mind, maybe he was just telling the New York Times in a nice way, blank off. Or he was in robo mode because all these guys have been trained by their PR people. 
put on the robo mode. But if I'm in that front office and I'm Mike Rizzo or I'm a fan of the Washington Nationals, at that point I say, this thing's over. I don't care if they're a game behind. I don't care if they're a half game behind. I don't care if they're a game ahead. They're not interested in this thing, Mojo. And I said this. And you know what? The Mets made the moves. Give them credit. They made the moves, and they seized that opportunity that weekend in New York when they won the three games at the Nationals. The Nationals, for four months, I understand the injuries. Now, Denard Span is out. They said, we're going to be in the playoffs. We'll worry about it then. They fooled around with this division. And finally, the Mets said late July, well, if you're not going to take it, we want it. And not only do they want it, it's a team with energy. City Field has energy. I know they lost last night. I know the manager's a boob. Let's just put it this way. The Nationals, I don't think, are coming back. Unless the Mets absolutely play hot potato and say, you know what, guys? We just are incapable. We are this incompetent of taking what is really being handed over to us. I think they're done. And Clappish was 110% right. How can you say Bryce Harper is a leader? And that's the quote. Because if I'm running that team, if I'm the leader of the team, I'm just saying, yes, we have injuries. This is not acceptable. We need to kick this into gear. And you know what, Mojo? He's having a great year, Bryce Harper. But let me ask you this. Two-part question. A, are you on board with my little speech there, my little monologue with my feelings on that quote? And B, are you a guy that doesn't think in a big spot that a good relief pitcher, you can't get Bryce Harper out? I think you can. I think you can. Mike, first of all, I don't want to hear about injuries. Mets didn't lose their captain, their best hitter for basically the entire season. They didn't lose their starting catcher. They didn't lose Jerry Blevins, the guy that was going to be counted on to pitch out of the bullpen. They didn't lose their closer uh, to suspension twice. The Cardinals didn't lose their ace in Wainwright. They didn't lose Matt Adams. They didn't lose you know, uh, Matt Holliday. They don't have guys in and out of the lineup. Molina went, was injured and banged up for a while. Injuries are part of baseball. It's part of next man up. It's like football, baseball. Sports is about injuries. Yeah, sometimes you get just too decimated to overcome it because you don't have it, but it's part of the game. And that injury excuse that they use for the Nationals, it, it's, it's, come on, it's part of what and you do. you know do. what annoys me, Mojo, but Mets fans, though, is I want them to start thinking about pushing this to the next level. They're too, like, even last night, oh, well, you know, uh, things happen. No, no, things don't happen. The Pirates series is a bad, bad series. Had nothing to do with the fact that they've been hot. You have to go out there and you have to push every day to win and to take the next step and to be considered. You know, everyone's criticizing them. They beat bad teams. The Mets is a tale of two seasons. You take the team pre-31st pre of July and post-31st. They've been playing bad teams since after the 31st. They can't, they can't control their schedule. If this team was together since the 1st of April, I don't think their record against good teams would be as bad as it was. Because the Mets were never getting blown out, even when they were, were not scoring runs. They, just, they couldn't compete. They couldn't score. You can't win 2-1 every day. But you've got to push. You've got to have the right mindset. And it worries me a little bit with this Matt Harvey thing. What would have it killed Matt Harvey yesterday in the scheme of his career and the rest of the season? throwing 20 extra pitches, 
Was that going to be? Mike, you're pushing to the choir on that. I told you that. I've gone crazy. I talk to scouts about it all the time, you know, and they go crazy too. They said it's all about the money with these front office, you know, you like to call them the nerds, the sabermetric guys, these guys that sit there. You know, what is the difference between 100 and 120 in the scheme of things? I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, is 121 going to make them get an injury or 123? It's it's a ridiculous thing. Back in the day. We had a call last week say, oh, do any of these guys, could they pass a test on kinesiology and tell me with that, with unequivocal, other than corporate CYA, last night, and you better better believe it, in the playoffs, the Mets better get these guys in the seventh inning and push a tired Jacob DeGrom or a tired Matt Harvey more than going and figuring out if Logan Verrett or Hansel Robles or, God forbid, Eric O'Flaherty could get big outs because they can't. And if you're not getting big outs... <laughs> Uh, you know, you're you, you, figuring that you know, you know out something, the 29th it, of August? You ain't figured out. I was listening to Vince Scully, who, by the way, Mike, and I tweeted this out, listening to that man call a baseball game is like listening to a Philharmonic Orchestra conduct music. Absolutely a pleasure almost every single time. And the fact that we're getting them yet another year, God willing, is just a blessing to all of America. Unlike other people who have been called this, he is truly a national treasure, Mike, to those baseball fans and, and those of us in the media. And he told a story last night, and, I, and this applies to what you're saying. Walter Alston, the Hall of Fame manager who did the Dodgers for 24 years, used to get crazy when people would say you need to rest these guys he would say how does a 24 25 year old kid in shape in the prime of his life get tired playing baseball he couldn't comprehend it you know these guys get tired playing baseball now i understand the grind of 162 games and 181 games but pitchers get four days off in between mike they rest four days in between 20, and I know Harvey's playing nice because his agent Boris is into the stuff. It's 20 pitches. Unless he was completely gassed, which I cannot believe Matt Harvey with a two-hit shutout was going to come out. It's ridiculous. By the way, Mojo, we got, I believe, uh, Paul from New City on the line. By the way, the number is 646-716-8187 if you want to give us a call. Paul from New City, you're on with Mike and Mojo. Hey, guys. How are you doing this week? So you guys, I'll tell you, the the seventh inning is going to be is, is the issue going forward right now. That, that's the issue with the Mets. You've got to look at the seventh Three inning. Outs. Three outs. Three outs. The Mets in maybe the going inning. to and, the and, playoffs and, the and, the cap, and But I believe that if we get to the, if we get to the playoffs, the seventh inning is going to be either manned by Mats or Syndergaard. So that one of those two is going to be in the seventh yeah. inning. I don't know. Which I one? mean, you know what, Paul? I'll throw this out at you. In a game four, and I hate to do this because they're not in the playoffs. Right. Uh, which, which you've seen out of uh, the, you know, which is the, one of the more tiresome shticks I've seen in a while, the uh, uh, mentally nervous wreck John Neese shtick. You trust non John Neese, or would you have to have Syndergaard or or Matt pitching that game four? Uh, you know that that's the question you have to ask yourself because if you get a bad starting performance, then it's just as bad as. Well, you got one or the other, Mike. I, I, I mean, I, I think, think you got to go with Cologne as the third. I put Bart yes. Cologne's going to be in the rotation. Bartolo Colon is going to be in the in the playoff rotation. Uh, There's no doubt that he's know. going to be in the playoffs. Yeah. I don't know. That's a you put him in between. You put him in a position. He's, he's, you could always back him up with Bats or Syndergaard. 
you 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 put you start Cologne. You let him. You can, Cologne can 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 take can take over a game with his. If he's on, he could take over a game. He could sleepwalk you through seven innings. Right. He could sleepwalk you, no, a team a through point. seven innings. Yeah, that's a good point. He, he, but he's but a professional. Paul, I mean, the you, guys. Yeah. You saw what the Phillies did to him early. They were. He was really lucky that 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 game couldn't. He could have been knocked out of that game in the second inning as easily as he as he made it through seven scoreless. So that's no, the thing. Was lucky. Cologne he was lucky is, that game. I was actually at that game, so I, that was a that was a. Uh, it was interesting that that whole dynamic of that. It was nice to see a stadium to being taken over by the Mets, as the way City Field has been taken over by the Phillies in past years. When Philly fans come up, it was very interesting to see a stadium like uh, Citizens Bank Park taken over by Mets fans, which was which was great. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you know, I, I think it's it's it's, it's a baseball is a daily grind. Like you said, you play for the the game. Yesterday was they had they had runners in scoring position. They didn't they didn't score. It's a, you're not going to hit 58 home, you know, 58 home runs every every week. You know, it's it's going to happen. You're going to have to have these games. You you pull them back. What I can't understand is how these people. I listened to WFN last night when I when I got home, and these people are talking about Cespedes and they're knocking yep. Cespedes. What they've been yep. seen? He didn't hustle no, after not... a home run ball that everybody saw was Magara saw it was a home run ball. That's why he didn't hustle after it. Cespedes uh, it is was... playing. It was, it, it was a bad look. Paul, it was a bad moment for both of them. You know, it's, and here's the thing: what fans have to realize. And somebody said this this morning on WFAN to Richard Neer, how they don't like Cespedes because it takes away from the team. They don't like the number 52 bling. They don't like the you know how he catches the ball and then he flings it underhand. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm going to say this. I'm going to get myself in trouble. From the cultural standpoint, that's what you're going to get when you get someone who comes from Cuba who's fought their way here on a boat and shark-infested waters. It, that's how they, their emotion – and Pedro Martinez has said that the Latin player likes to show their emotion, but the Latin I player also – I love it. It, 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 it me it's, it's going to be part cold. of it. And, but you've got to take the good with the bad with that. You've got to take the good yeah. with the bad. And what would they have and, said and, when, if, if, he, if he hits the ball a half inch off the bat a little different and it goes over the center field fence for a grand slam to win it last night? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you just missed that ball. You just yeah, missed I mean, that no, ball. So, <laughs> Come on. It wasn't in the launching pads of Philadelphia and Colorado, of course, where, you, where every, everything you, you touch, where, where Travis Darnot is hitting 460-foot home runs at the center field. So, right. You know, but right. it's a it's – a, uh, it's, what I love is it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm, I'm watching baseball. I'm, I'm, I'm into baseball again. My, people are talking about baseball. I don't even care that football is starting right now. I, I could really – you have Ian Eagle and, and, and Ralph Vacchiano, two good friends of mine uh, that are coming on later this afternoon. And it, the fact that they're talking football, I really, I, I really don't care about football until October right now. That's how I feel. That's that's because I'm, nope. I'm, I'm a baseball fan, true and true. That was my my love is baseball. I love football, but I, I, right now I could care less about the Giants or the Jets. So I'm, I'm wrapped up in this baseball season. And, and rightfully so, Paul. I mean, I mean, you've Thanks got the so Yankees much, making their run. You've got the Mets are leading their run. I mean, yeah, as a New York baseball fan, you've really got to be excited about what you uh, have in front of you over the last month of the season. I mean, potentially, Mike, you could get a repeat of 2000 uh, if things uh, break right for both teams, if the Yankees could get in. And I think the Yankees are going to get a wild card, even if they don't beat the Blue Jays out. Because the no, American I, I League is that. just so, uh, you know, I mean, the, I the one thing that a lot of people were, uh, you know, saying, and I saw some things down here this week, where, you know, a lot of people were questioning the whole second wild card in the American League, where you potentially could have a team with a losing record get that second wild card this year. 
I mean, because you have a lot of teams on the cusp at the 500. And someone said, you know, well, this isn't the NFL where, you know, the NFC South puts a 7-8-1 team in the playoffs or the uh, NFC West, and you, get, and you justify it. I mean, Major League Baseball, you need to have a winning record to get in. But, you know, with this new expanded playoff system, you could potentially have that. I don't think it's going to happen. I think somebody will be at 500 or better with that second one. So I think the Yankees and Mets will both be in the postseason uh, at this point uh, of, of the, uh, you know, run here. I mean, I mean, the Mets collapsed in 07, as we saw in 08, so anything could happen. But based on what we're seeing from the Nationals, I think the Mets, uh, you know, win the division and the Yankees get either the division or the wild card. Uh, depending on on how things break for them uh, the last month of the season, but this is an exciting time, Mike. I mean, you've really got to be excited. And and you, you I, I liked your comment on Cespedes. Cespedes has transcended the Mets into a relevant team. Uribe's been good. Johnson's been great. But he has elevated the Murphys and the Kadires and the Darnos. See, because those guys are very solid professional hitters, but they're not leads. You know, it's like supporting actor and actor. I'll tell you, know, you those guys. If you watch, if you watch Darno the, the last few, couple of weeks since he came back from the BL, and I think last night when he walked, I don't know if you saw the walk with the Yes, I, 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 had the phone, I had the game. I was doing a game, but I had the game he on my phone. He laid off. He laid off a couple of pitches. He laid off the exact same sequence of pitches that Wilmer Flores aggressively went after. That little slider type that they thrown away. That to me shows plate discipline and maturity. Because you got to remember, when you're ahead in the count, a guy that's not throwing strikes, bases loaded, as a hitter, you're zoning in on dead red. So what Ogando uh, uh, what, what was trying to do, I can't even know if I'm pronouncing his name. The, I guess it's the kid he used to be with Texas. He's going to say, you know, if I throw a slider, you have to make that split-second decision. The hope is that you start to see that thing come in and you zone in on it. The thing is going to, you know, swerve out of the way, and you're going to be, now instead of being 2-0, it's 1-1. Darno has shown me a lot of maturity in that point. As far as the cesspit of stuff, uh, 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 Mojo, if you don't like the bling, it's part of what you have to accept with impact players. You know, you surround guys like that with the kind of guys that could be glued to the team, you know. Cespedes may be a clown, and by no means do I think Cespedes is a team leader, but you don't need him for that. You need him to be an impact player. You need him to give you an edge. And I'll ask you that. If you don't like him and it takes away from the team, tell me how much you liked Eric Campbell and John Mayberry Jr. in June and July. Who incidentally got released, DFA'd by the Chicago White Sox this week. I, he was here in Charlotte playing for the Charlotte Knights. No, nope. he, DF- he was D- he was DFA'd. Uh, I think on Tuesday, Mike. So he's no longer with anybody at this point. Uh, DFA'd by the Mets and DFA'd by the White Sox. So he he has uh, been DFA'd twice in the same season, and he was DFA'd in the minors, which is really hard to do. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll do a little Yankees baseball. Uh, Yankees with a, a big win because they've been struggling. Uh, blow the, the Atlanta Braves out. I have some concerns about the Yankees. I do think they're going to make the playoffs. I do agree with Mojo on that. But what I've been saying, what I've been preaching, what I've been warning people about, and people say, oh, you're being a troll, you're a Yankee hater, is starting to come to fruition. Mojo, maybe they'll start listening. You are listening to the Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva, and Jim Mojo Morrison in for the vacationing Joe Bono. The number is 646-716-8187, and you can listen to us live on replay at WeekendWatchdogs.com. We'll be right back. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Every Saturday between 10 and noon, Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the Weekend Sports with a New York slant. 
a one-stop shop of quality commentary, hard-hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to WeekendWatchDogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Don't miss it. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Mike Silver into the vacation, Joe Bono. Weekend Watchdogs, our summer end of the year um, beach party show. No beach, no beach, uh, you know, balls. Nothing you didn't but- set us up at like like it like Bar A or somewhere in Brooklyn by Joe's where we could like you know ring ring in the uh, the fall and uh, send the summer out with a bang, Mike. You didn't like send us somewhere, you know. Uh, no. Exotic. Joe, Joe did all the beach party for us in Greece. I think he was in Mykonos. I think he's heading to Vegas. He was in Italy. He did all of that. You know what I'm doing this weekend, Mojo? I'm moving my boxes. I'm moving from one place to the other. You know, anybody who doesn't think that ball players getting traded on July 31st is like a disruptive thing, and I'm not saying they get paid a lot of money, but I've moved, and look, I'm not asking anybody to feel sorry for me. This is now my third or fourth move in like four years. You know, hey, listen, life happens. It it sucks, and I'm done with it, and hopefully there'll be more permanency. So, you know, if you're a guy who is those year-to-year guys, and you have a family or you have a wife, and here you settle into New York for, you know, April 1st, after coming up from spring training, and on July 31st they said, guess what, buddy? You're going to Detroit or you're going to Atlanta. Um, you're pretty much living out of boxes the rest of the year. And, uh, you know, that – that that sucks and that's part of it. So that's what I'm doing while the vacationing Joe Bono is vacationing. Well, congratulations, so uh, congratulations, Mike, and I can't wait to come and see your new abode with uh, you and your your lovely better half. Uh, you know, moving in I'm to see the touches that she uh, puts on your abode. It's going to be funny to watch you uh, in you know with a female touch in in your house. Uh, you know, full time there. But what I also want to know, Mike, why didn't you? You know, you you had to make the move. Why didn't you go to Brooklyn like the Islanders? Um, you couldn't pay me enough to live in a seven one eight area code. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If they even at you know even now with I mean I heard Joe could have got you a Joe could have got you a deal in his co-op. He could have possibly. That's true. <laughs> On a Friday at five o'clock, if I could get out of a seven one eight area code and not be in there till Monday, that's a good weekend for me. I I've I've done my time in the New York Staten Island Brooklyn uh, shuttle, but um, yeah, it, it'll it'll be fun. And you know what? It's a great workout moving. But I'll tell you what, Mojo. As we move and transition to the Yankees, I'm going to throw a couple of facts out for you. And, you know, play a little game here and see where I'm going. A hurt shin that makes somebody that, you know, was able to run and produce now can't. And then I'm going to throw you out some numbers. Hold on a second. Let me get them. I had them here. There we go. 138, 250, 250. Do you know what those three numbers represent? You tell me. Alex Rodriguez's batting average, on-base percentage, and slugging percentage in the month of August, which includes 92 plate appearances. Not exactly. Yeah, A-Rod a- a- is starting to, to struggle a little bit. He's, he he needs a Jerry's breather. Hurt, and I kept saying to everybody, you know what? I'm as surprised. I'll eat crow 
you know, with these two guys, vintage Teixeira, at times somewhat vintage A-Rod. And, you know, you could make an argument that Teixeira was an MVP candidate. He's had 31 home runs, 79 RBIs, and he's hitting like it's 2009 when the Yankees won the World Series. And now he's hurt, and he can't walk, and everyone's saying it's no big deal. Now, Carlos Beltran has done a nice job since a hard start in complimenting those guys. But when you're relying on Carlos Beltran, Alex Rodriguez, and Mark Teixeira as a third of – that's your big three. You want to throw McCann in, McCann certainly can be there. Three out of your four big guys. And then you have your Gardner, your Ellsbury, who are complementary table setter type of guys. That is a huge problem, a huge problem for a team that does not have great starting pitching has a great bullpen that's being going to be overworked. I have a – do I think the Yankees are going to make the playoffs? Yes, I do, just because I think the Orioles stink. I think Anaheim stinks. And I think Texas really deep down stinks. But I don't know if the Yankees can navigate a one-game playoff, even against one of, the, one of those teams that may not be any good. And I sure as hell don't think the Yankees are winning a seven-game series against anybody. Now, with their bullpen, that certainly creates a scary scenario because your games are now going to be six innings. But if your players like A-Rod, like Teixeira, and who knows, you know, Beltran's been great since April in the sense where he hasn't broken down. How healthy are they going to be in October, being that you really have something to play for? You don't want to be in the one-game playoff. You want to be in the division. You want to get in and play the five-game series. So um, I think what I said, and I said this in April, I said this in May, and everybody kept tweeting at me and getting angry, and you hate the Yankees. I, this is, Mojo, this is not rocket science. I'm not any smarter than your average bear, your average sports writer. This was just common sense, and it's come to fruition right in front of our eyes. Well, yeah, Mike. I mean, it's common sense 101. Baseball is a grind. It's a marathon. I mean, it's not a sprint. You know, people get all excited in April. They get excited in June. I mean, it's one of those situations. I mean, you look at Kansas City last year and all the peaks and valleys that that team, but at the end of the day, it's the body of work of 162 games that makes or breaks you to move on into the postseason for a right to compete for the world championship. And you look at the team in the American League, Kansas City is just light years ahead of everybody as far as consistency, depth. I mean, they've got a little bit of power with Morales there this year. Some of the other guys are putting the ball over the fence. Cueto gives them an ace at the top, knocks everybody else down a, a, a number. And then their bullpen is just rock solid. They've got a very comparable bullpen, if not better, than what the Yankees have. So they're the, the, the cream of the American League, the favorite, in my opinion, uh, come October. They went through the whole uh, run last year where everybody thought it was a fluke. They thought they were going to come back this year. Year. I think that Kansas City's got to be the team to beat, the team to gun for come October. Toronto, I, I still don't see the consistency of Toronto. I think they get in, obviously, either as a division champ or the wild card. I look at Toronto, though, as a division champ. Cause I, I agree with you, Mike, the Yankees with the injuries and the age. I think Toronto gets just a little bit more. But a team like Toronto that's built with all that offense – over the, the grind of October, those four weeks, that kind of offense usually doesn't sustain itself against good pitching night in and night out, and they need to learn and need to be able to uh, 
build runs like the Cardinals do and the Giants do and the Royals do where you steal, take the extra base. I mean, like I watched St. Louis last night against San Francisco. Got a guy on with a single. He tags up on a ball to the outfield because the outfielder backed up on it. He was flat-footed. Goes to third on another fly ball and scores on a wild pitch. That's how you win in the postseason. And those are the little things that teams need to do to be successful. And that's why those Yankee bomber teams, you know, a lot of times, year in and year out, would fall flat in the playoffs. They would get in over the 162, and then they would lose uh, income playoffs. They'd get shut down in the four or five game series uh, look, you know, uh, against these teams with better pitching. I look at. I think it's going to be the Yankees and Texas as the, as the teams. Minnesota's playing well. I, I don't know if they have. I think Texas made just enough moves that will get them the, in the wild card. And, I, and the Yankees. I think Toronto, Houston, Kansas City. I, I think those are your five teams that are going to be in the mix uh, come October in the American League. Yankees, Toronto, Houston, Texas, and the Royals. Minnesota may make an outside run. I just don't like the the Angels. Uh, they don't have the consistency neither in the pitching. If the pitching's good, the hitting isn't good. And if the hitting's good, the pitching isn't good. There's just that inconsistency uh, with Anaheim, and they have a great manager in social. I just, I don't know. I just, there's something missing there. And I wonder, you know, can you see this team beating Kansas City, maybe even Houston? I mean, I'm not. I mean, Houston has had a, a quietly a nice year. I mean, that's like the Mets. They finally things are coming together. I don't know if they can. I, I really don't. The Yankee recipe is. Six-inning ball game, give it to the bullpen. And once you get into where you're behind against the Yankees in the seventh inning, then, 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 then all bets are off. Then, then you've got to go through those guys, and they've been great. I don't know if they could win the six-inning games. You know, everybody keeps talking about Tanaka, and I get you know, crap from people about saying, you know, look, I don't know if the guy needs Tommy John surgery. All I know is he's got a tear. And everybody keeps saying, well, Adam Wainwright pitched. But yeah, but Adam Wainwright eventually needed surgery. And all I know is I see a guy – whose peripherals, even though he still strikes out nearly a batter per nine and his command and control is, is, is still stellar from an overall point of view, he's not the same pitcher as last year. I mean, at last year, um, you were looking at a guy that was Matt Harvey at one point. Matt Harvey, 2013. He's not this year. He's just not. He's not. He's slightly above league average pitcher. Evaldi, a very hittable guy for a guy who throws hard. Sabathia's out now. Who knows? Do you remember? And I love Kevin Kernan's death. But when Kevin Kernan was debating a few months ago whether Pineda or Matt Harvey was actually a better pitcher, and I think Pineda yeah. is good. But let me ask you, Mojo. Big game two, Yankees down one zero. What Yankee pitcher you give the ball, and you tell me, I'm going to get you to the seventh inning to that bullpen. Which one? Right now. Well, I think I, I think the guy that they relied on for years, they just retired his number last Sunday, uh, right. Andy Pettit. That was always the guy that they had. That's why he was always there for game two. You know, they always gave it Andy to Mariano was always the, the formula that Tori liked to use. Uh, after Tanaka, I don't know. I mean, Ivaldi, uh, uh, I mean, any of the guys that they throw out there, you never know what you're going to get on a, on a night-to-night basis. You get a good Pineda or you get a bad Pineda. You, you know, a lot of their guys that they throw are, are very erratic and very inconsistent, down one nothing. Uh, you're right. That's going to be a big factor for the Yankees as far as getting the consistency in the starting rotation come October. Uh, but, you know, Mike, they got to get there. I think they have enough to get there. Then you worry about the matchups. Who are you playing? Where are you playing? What kind of ballpark you're going to be in? And you go from there. I mean, once you get to October, you turn the page and you kind of look at what you have in front of you. Get 
to the playoffs. Do your job now. Like you said, night in and night out, or, or Paul, our caller said, it's a grind. It's a marathon. Just do the due diligence to get there and then worry about the postseason. Don't look too far ahead. You still have a month to go. You know, you're not guaranteed anything in baseball, so you need to make sure that you, get, you do your job. I think they need to get A-Rod a little bit of a blow, so he gives them something in, in September. To Cheryl, like you said, he's always hurt at the most uh, inopportune times. And I hear the Yankee fans, so you've got to be optimistic that things should work out for you. And, you know, we should have a buzz in the New York uh, baseball uh, come October. Uh, I mean, we like Paul said, I think football, as much as there's optimism for Jet fans and Giant fans, have a little bit of a tainted optimism because of the injuries as far as what they got looking ahead. You may not start picking up a full tilt football season until sometime at the end of October when the baseball is finally put to bed with the two New York baseball teams, Mike. Do some math here for both teams. Let's As mm-hmm. much as you want to be pragmatic, and ever since 2007 and the law of averages, math doesn't always seem to work. But I did a monologue a couple Mike, of years ago. Mike, it's the Mets. That's all you need to know, Mike. Math, well, pragmatic, was... it's, it's the Mets. Yeah. That's all you need to know. I hear you on that. And I, I did a monologue a couple of years ago on Champions Radio on a, on a September morning when everybody thought the Yankees were going to ma- magically, with Alfonso Soriano finding the fountain of youth, uh, overcome all their deficiencies and and make it to the playoffs. You know that's when I was doing the whole magic bean shtick and. No, I and, remember you, know, you upset our, our good friend Dan Canobio with this monologue. Yeah, I upset some people. I upset. I heard from callers and listeners that I was upset because I started to do the math about the second wild card. I'm like, guys aren't going to make it. But here's where there's some positive math for both teams. I look at 90 wins as kind of that line where if you win 90 games, even if even if it, you get there and you you don't play as well. Uh, certain nights. If you win 90 games, I, I think you're going to make the playoffs, especially in this particular baseball season. The Yankees are at 70 and 57. I find it hard to believe that they can't go 20 and 15 the rest of the way. Because 20 and 15 gets you to 90 and 72. And you should be okay at that point. I don't see... Now, you got to remember, I'm not even just talking... I don't know if that's going to win you the division. I didn't say that. But is Minnesota going to just go and lose 10 more games. Because Minnesota's got 62 losses already. Uh, is L.A. only going to lose nine more games the rest of the year? Right. Are the Orioles only going to lose seven more games? Of course not. Same for Tampa and what have you. So that's where, and now you don't want to get into the second wild card, but that's the reality that the Yankees, even if they limp home, they'll be playing a playing game at the very worst. They, you know, this is more about the division. Now mm-hmm. the Mets, I fall into that same category. Because the Mets, it's about the division. Nobody else in the division but the Nationals. Forget the wild card right now. Uh, because right now, you have San Francisco four and a half games yeah, out. Not get, the uh, Mets are either division champions or they're going home. Right. You know, and, I, and I looked at that. Three behind the Cubs. You know, it's doable, but uh, it's something that you just don't want to get into. It's tough because you don't control your fate. But let me ask you something. The Mets have to go 19. And that's why I think they won last night to be even better. Yeah. 19... <laughs> And 19 and 15, the rest of the way, the games against the Phillies and the Braves and the Marlins. And yeah, you got a Cincinnati game in there and you got six with the Nationals. 19 and 15, the rest of the way, to win 90 games. Are you telling me that at 64 and 63, the Nationals are going to lose only nine more games the rest of the year? Well, that's Mike. I, that's why I feel really confident about the Mets. I mean, I'll go even further. Just play 500, 17 and 17. That's 88. Do the Nationals have 89 or 90 in, in and their arsenal? You want to know what you do? 
you know what you do? You got six games against the Nationals. You could split with those guys. You split That's with my those point. guys. They're not picking up any ground. So if you give me three and three Mets Nationals right now, I got six. So now you just, now you just need to now you just need to win fourteen more games against the bottom of the barrel. You got you got Atlanta seven times. You've got the Phillies. I mean, you just got to win four fourteen games the rest of the way. And remember something. Uh, uh, remember something when you bring up two thousand seven and two thousand eight. In 2007, the Mets did not have enough starting pitching. They were basically Glavin and El Duque, and that's it. So you were, you were getting, and you know, look, bad teams, and you saw this with the Phillies, can hit the baseball late in the year. It's about the pitching and the bullpen. The Mets didn't have a bullpen, and in 08, they lost Billy Wagner, so they didn't even have a closer. The Mets have a closer. The Mets have a setup guy, and the Mets have guys, knock on wood for Mets fans, that could get you to the seventh inning. The seventh inning right. is a little dicey. Let me ask you the something. The bridge has to Did be starter. The, three outs? Right. The bridge has, nine seven, nine the bridge has to be seven innings, seven innings starter, Mike, Clippard, Familia. And they got to get a third guy in there, whether it's Syndergaard, Matt's, whomever is going to be where they develop, you know, one of those guys out of the rotation. Because uh, I, I agree, it was you got to leave Cologne in there with the experience. He's been down this road before. Uh, come October, I, Mike, I he, he's, be- he's better than throw. Because if you get Syndergaard, Mike, you're gonna have to throw Syndergaard at City Field only. He cannot pitch him on the road. He's just too erratic on the road. I still, uh, Matt, I still wonder. I still wonder long term if Syndergaard's a starter. I wonder. That's the back of my head, not a conversation for today. But no, no, I agree, and we got to wrap this up because we got Iron Eagle coming up uh, in a couple of minutes, and we got to transition over to football. But yeah, the Mets need to figure out. You know, you mentioned that Pirates. You mentioned last night. Look at the similarities, missed opportunities offensively, and going to that third reliever, whether it be an in extra innings or the seventh inning, wound up killing them in those four losses. The three with the Pirates and the Red Sox last night. So it's a common theme. You know where your weakness is. You've got to figure out a way to address it. Right. No, absolutely. So we got two bit playoff baseball teams. Um, we got NFL coming up. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to transition to NFL. We hope to have Ian Eagle from CBS joining us later on in the 11 o'clock hour. We'll have uh, Ralph Vacchiano with the Daily News. We'll talk Giants. It's the Snoopy Bowl. Mike, it's going to not be the same without your buddy Rex there. <laughs> nothing, nothing will be better than Rex going. I'll say it to the left. I'll say it to the right. I'll say it. I actually, you know what? It's been a quiet, Geno Smith notwithstanding, it's been a quiet training camp, actually for both teams. I mean, the biggest news at Giants camp is that uh, Tom Coughlin's got them having a spa day. But uh, we miss Rex from that standpoint. But from a football standpoint, I don't think it's going to be a problem. So anyway, you're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva and Jim Mojo Morrison, subbing in for the vacation of Joe Bono. We'll be right back. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Every Saturday between 10 and noon, Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the Week in Sports with the New York Slant, a one-stop shop of quality commentary, hard-hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to WeekendWatchdogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Don't miss it. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono.
Mike Silva and Jim Mojo Morrison, bringing you all the way up till noon. This is the show live on WePlay at WeCanWatchDogs.com. And joining us, you all know him uh, from his time at CBS, covering the NFL, also the Nets on Yes. Uh, good friend of our buddy Jim Mojo Morrison, it's Ian Eagle. Ian, Mike Silva, and Jim Mojo Morrison here in New York. Thanks for bringing us uh, a couple of minutes here uh, in your busy schedule. Hey, Mike, Mojo, great to talk to you guys. Ian, I know we brought you in here to talk a little NFL, but i got to ask you, how's the summer been going? I didn't get a chance to see you up there in Salisbury this year. I had a game that night. Uh, have you enjoyed this baseball resurgence in flushing that uh, we've gotten the last month? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit surreal because I think back to my freshman year of college when the Mets won the World Series, I got up to Syracuse, and there were so many more Red Sox fans than I ever anticipated. I just assumed it would be Yankee and Mets Central, but uh, Mojo, I'm sure you remember, there, there was a large Boston contingent. So that, that whole month leading up to the World Series was very memorable for me as a Met fan and uh, just going through the range of emotions. My son, who I dropped off at Syracuse for his freshman year two days ago, is also a Mets fan, and I tried to bring the parallel of maybe this is fate. Maybe you're walking into your freshman year, and you're also going to experience a a world championship. So uh, it's, it's real. This team is really likable. Uh, they have the makings of a team that could do damage in the postseason. Whatever offensive problems that we saw earlier in the year has been solved. They've got chemistry. There's a belief now. And uh, I think the bullpen is, is really going to be the only thing that, that might stand between them and doing some special things. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, buddy. I think it's just we just did baseball for the first hour of the show, and uh, this this is a special time for the Mets. They've got one issue, which is that third reliever uh, in the tight games. But other than that, I mean, I think they've got all the components to to really be a factor uh, in October. I think that they should win the division uh, based on what we're seeing from the Nationals and the way the Mets are playing. And uh, I think that come October, uh, this this could be a real special time in New York. Uh, we may actually have to put the NFL on the uh, back burner, and that's what we brought Johnny. Uh, to talk about, but with the Jets, I, you know, nothing is ever uh, on the back burner. They always seem to be uh, the gift that keeps on giving for you. Yeah, I think I'm not sure what you guys uh, feel about this, but Mets fans, not, not to generalize completely, but there's there's a sense of, of doom and gloom. You always feel as if the other shoe's going to drop, and I don't know if that's because uh, – They've been damaged over time, and there have been other moments where they've believed in this team, they believed in this organization, and obviously the last uh, few years have been very rough. But with that said, I'm trying to take this team uh, at its own merits, and their makeup is built for the postseason. I know that's a scary thought considering where this team was before the trade deadline and all the concerns about the lack of offense, but... Uh, they they could be a serious player when it's all said and done, and I think New York sports fans are okay with the idea of football being put on the back burner. If baseball can can truly be a headline here with the Mets and the Yankees doing some damage in the playoffs, that would bring us back to another time in this town, and, and it's a long time coming. You know, Ian, as we as we, we take a look at the Jets, you call the games in the preseason uh, on CBS. Um what is the difference between this Todd Bowles training camp 
and what we saw from Rex the past six years, in, in your opinion, what do, you, what do you see differently that this team is doing under Todd Bowles that they didn't do uh, under Rex Ryan? I'd say attitude more than anything else. Very business-like approach, taking their cues from the head coach. Rex is a very affable personality. Uh, I do think he's going to inject the city of Buffalo with some much-needed energy and get people starting to beat the drum in, in that town, and he's a good fit for what they need. Uh, been there, done that a little bit with the Jets, and I think Todd Bowles brings a different kind of mentality, and the players have responded to it. He's dealt with some adversity, as we know, with the Geno Smith stuff. Thought he handled that pretty well, all things considered. And while it continues to be a topic, it hasn't been the dominant topic. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that there are probably those within that locker room that believe that Ryan Fitzpatrick gives them as good a chance to win games if he can go out not make the glaring mistake, this team can still be productive in the first six, seven weeks. And if they need to make a change at quarterback at some point in the season, maybe Geno becomes an option in a perfect world. Ryan Fitzpatrick probably holds down that position. And there's a belief amongst the players on offense that he knows the system. He understands what Chan Gailey is trying to do. He's at a point in his career where he can actually run the system and be confident in doing it. He doesn't have the physical skills and tools that Geno Smith has, but he does have a wherewithal and he does have an experience level that very well could be a good fit for this offense. The concerns defensively in the first two preseason games, a lot of big plays, a lot of penalties more than anything else. And and that's something we can talk all you want about uh, being vanilla in the preseason and, and not showing or tipping your hand. But penalties are still not acceptable. In the preseason, those are just mistakes, and those have to be corrected. Those have to be ironed out. I think that will be a big coaching point tonight, trying to see if they can take care of some of the glaring mistakes that we've seen the first two weeks against Detroit and Atlanta. I and uh, Mike Silva here. By the way, we have Ian Eagle on with us. So Brady's not going to be probably with the Patriots for four weeks. I have a hard time looking at this team and figuring out, are the Jets rebuilding? Are they a contender? Um, I know in the NFL it's not like baseball where, you know, you're either one or the other a lot of times. Right. You've seen this. I know preseason is only going to tell you so much. What are your feelings? Can we have, we'll use a Fred Wilpon quote, will we have meaningful football games in December instead of September? Yeah, Mike, they're, they're a bit of a mystery because defensively they went out, they spent a ton of money. They understood that they could not come back with the same personnel that they had, certainly on, on the back line, the secondary. To go back in time, bring back Revis, bring back Cromartie, bring in Buster Screen, uh, that, that was a huge step for them to recognize that, that they had to be competitive on that front. And I think they will. I think defensively they'll still be very good. I don't know if they're going to be as dominant as the scuttlebutt was after all these signings took place. So now if they're not dominant on defense, you're asking your offense to do a bit more. Are they more dynamic on offense? Potentially. When you have Brandon Marshall, a guy that is still looking to prove something, believe it or not, after all these years, I think he he still believes that he's among the upper echelon of wide receivers in the NFL, yet – He's not mentioned on that first pass anymore because there are other guys that have just been better and have been more consistent and they've been more productive. If Marshall is the guy they think he can be, then I think their offense will loosen things up. Chad Gailey is 
uh, someone that will give you a lot of multiple looks. And while Ryan Fitzpatrick is not someone that has all the physical abilities that other QBs in the NFL, he is a smart guy, and I do think he's finally at a point in his career that he knows his limitations. He's not trying to prove himself and showcase himself every single week to show that he belongs. He belongs. He's a 10-year guy. He started 89 games in the NFL. This is no fluke that he made the league out of Harvard. That storyline no longer exists. Offensively, I think they're capable of doing enough to be a contender. So to answer the question in a roundabout way, can they be a contender? Can they go out and win the division? I'm not convinced that they can do that. Can they be a factor in the AFC? Can they hover around that playoff mark, which means you've got to win 10 games to at least be in the conversation? Uh, a lot of that will, will be based on Fitzpatrick handling this offense and, oh, by the way, Fitzpatrick staying healthy, which has been an issue for him in his career because he takes a lot of hits. Who, who surprised you so far this camp? Anyone on offense or defense that you've looked at and said, wow, you know, that, that guy's really going to stand out and be a major contributor? Well, defensively, the fact that Leonard Williams is ready to play, uh, I'm not sure that you can usually pencil guys in, even if they're the number six draft pick. He was put right into the fire because of the Sheldon Richardson situation, and he's handled it incredibly well. You talk to people on that team, they believe the upside is scary. They believe he can be a major impact player. And the fact that he's looked comfortable last week against Atlanta, he looked like a, men, a man amongst boys. And then they were second-team offensive linemen he was going against. I still want to see him against the first team and, and how he handles himself. But it's there. It's it's apparent that he can be a special player. Offensively, they've got battles at wide receiver, and I'm not at camp every day. I can't tell you what they're seeing, what the coaches are seeing, but it's pretty obvious that the third wide receiver spot is open, that they are not convinced that Jeremy Curley is definitely the guy. Uh, he was signed to an extension last year. They gave him four years, $14 million. He's that prototypical slot guy. But my, my sense is that you're going to see Eric Decker move around a bit more. Decker played in the slot at times when uh, he was in Denver. Brandon Marshall, they might move around, and they might test some defenses to see if they can handle Marshall in these quick hitters where he can just box out smaller guys and then turn it upfield and carry a guy on his back for seven, eight, nine extra yards. So I think they're going to be so diverse and multiple on offense that that third wide receiver spot could end up going to a burner on the outside. Uh, the fact that Devin Smith, the Ohio State product, went down early with that rib injury uh, did affect them because I think they felt he was going to have a place on this offense, and eventually he may. But He's basically missed training camp, and now the learning curve is going to be steep. Quincy Anunwa, Chris Owusu are the two names you want to keep an eye on. They're two guys that could get some time for this team and could become part of the mix offensively if Chan Gailey really wants to open it up. I am. We're talking with Ian Eagle of CBS Sports, um, talking uh, NFL football. I had a chance last week uh, to go up to Greenbrier, spend the day with the Patriots and the Saints. Uh, Randy Moss, I was his guest, and uh, got a chance to really go inside the workings of the Patriots. It was, it was an experience. Do you see, as we just look at the division, just to get your thoughts, the Patriots taking a hit if Brady is suspended to four games, do you think he's going to be suspended to four games, first of all? And if so, do the Patriots take a hit those first four weeks? 
Well, let's deal with the situation that they're in right now. It's shocking that the league and Brady have allowed it to get to this point. Uh, In my mind, the league, which has done so many smart things through the years, has had a very rough stretch going back to last year with Ray Rice, with Greg Hardy, uh, with Ray McDonald. Brady is a completely different issue, but the way that this has tumbled out of control, it's hurt the league, it's hurt Brady, and it's hurt the Patriots. And in my mind, cooler heads somewhere along the line should have prevailed, and they should have been smart enough to to figure out a way to uh, take care of this, move on, not make it a talking point heading into the regular season, which it still is. And that's a problem uh, for a league that has been so smart and so sharp in how they go about their business. Uh, they're, They're sorting through some stuff right now. Dealing with the situation that they're in, Look, uh, they still might shorten this. They might have to, uh, based on uh, where we're at legally. If that's not going to save face, if they believe they're they're hunkered down, they spent a lot of money to defend themselves on both sides, then uh, this thing could continue to play out, and maybe the four game sticks, and and Tom Brady ends up sitting out. How does it affect the team itself? It affects them greatly. You know, the idea that you could just stick anybody in there. I know Matt Castle, when Brady went down with the injury, did a very nice job stepping in at quarterback, but it took some time to ask a young guy, Jimmy Garoppolo, to steer the ship and win football games, meaningful football games, going against other guys that get paid is a tall order. This team is not as deep as it was, and while the system is still in place and the belief is still in place, and there's no doubt in my mind that Bill Belichick has convinced these guys that everybody is against them and has used it as a rallying cry, talent is still talent, and there will be a a process of development here. They're going to be better in December than they are in September. That's how it always is. That's, That's how they're built now. They find people, they create opportunities, and then they fill those holes with guys that have proven themselves within their system. Uh, it's, it's not an easy task for them to, uh, to play without Brady and to think that they can just keep the machine going, uh, to me, is, is a little bit unrealistic in the early going. I am last one before I w- let you go. Year one, Todd Bowles. Year one of Rex Ryan, they got to an AFC title game. What do you envision? I know things change on a dime on a week-to-week basis in the National Football League, but looking down the road, crystal ball, what do you envision year one of Todd Bowles? I think this will be a disciplined football team. I think uh, they are still in the process of getting his kind of guys and Mike McCagnin's kind of guys. It's part of the process. He's got the backing of ownership, which uh, is interesting. You haven't heard a lot from Woody Johnson. You just haven't. It's been McCagnin and it's been Bowles that have spoken for this football team, changing a culture. We hear that term, but you don't snap your finger. I've sensed it going out there, meeting with them, Uh, You can feel a bit of a shift. This is not fun in games. This is not the Rex Ryan Jets. Uh, This is a different ambiance around the team. I think he'll be successful. I believe he's going to be a successful coach in this league. I think there's a respect level uh, for the fact that he played and the fact that he knows what he's talking about and the fact that he has a methodology of how he wants to do things. He and McCagnin appear to be on the same page, which is a huge huge part of success 
in the NFL. Uh, what can this team be this year? I do think this team is capable of going out and winning nine games. The one issue is that quarterback situation. You want to see if it steadies itself, if it truly is a fit with Fitzpatrick and the weapons that he's got at his disposal. Uh, if if that's okay, and if this Geno thing doesn't haunt them, uh, they can be a nine-win team, and, and they might play meaningful football games in the month of December. And on a personal note, I didn't get a chance to do it in person back in June, but congrats, buddy, on your second straight New York Sportscaster of the Year award. Uh, you were honored. Uh, like I said, I didn't get a chance to get to the dinner this year, but I just wanted to congratulate you. No one deserves it better uh, or more than you because you are the man, and uh, thank you so much for spending time with us here on this Saturday morning, my friend. Guys, my pleasure. Mojo, I appreciate the kind words. Mike, continued success, and we'll talk down the road. Enjoy the weekend. All right. Ian, great job. Ian Eagle, CBS. Good stuff, Mojo. Good spot. Good spot. Let's take a, a quick break. When we return, if you want to send us a, a tweet or a comment, at Mike Silva Media, at Jim Mojo Morrison. We'll try to keep it to the Jets. Uh, as we go forward. And, so, and, and, uh, then, we, and then we transition giant. over to our buddy uh, Ralph Vacchiano of the Daily News and SMY, and we will get the uh, Big Blue perspective uh, on the got, uh, We got uh, Vacchiano about 11.30. Is that right, Mojo? About 11.30? Uh, yeah, I'm going to tell Yeah, I, Hopefully about 11.30 he'll, he'll pop on with us, and um, we will uh, get, him, get him and get his perspective. I mean, that was a great segment. So let's take our break, Mike. You know how to roll it, and let's, and let's do it. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Every Saturday between 10 and noon, Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the Weekend Sports with a New York slant. A one-stop shop of quality commentary, hard-hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to WeekendWatchdogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Don't miss it. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Mike Silva and Jim Mojo Morrison in for the vacation. Joe Bono, listen to us live on replay at WeekendWatchdogs.com. Send us a tweet at Mike Silva Media, at Jim Mojo Morrison. Check us out on the Facebook page or on iTunes. Mojo, uh, Ian, great spot. I know that you know Ian a long time. Um, you know, he kind of gave me what I expected with the Jets. And I'm going to say the same thing to Vacchiano with the Giants. And I know that we've said this a billion times in the last couple of weeks. You got the non-alcoholic beverage uh, version of football in preseason. But this preseason, more than any other, I don't know what to make of either one of this, these teams. Uh, I don't understand where, uh, you know, there's still so many things to work out. And maybe that's the NFL, where in baseball you like to go into the season, or even the NBA, and you kind of want to have your ducks in a row, and you want to have the ability to get off to a quick start. It almost seems like, even though that's the same things for the NFL and for the Jets and the Giants, this is going to be certainly a process. And like Ian said, uh, even with the Patriots, the team in September is not going to be the team in December is not going to be the team in September. So I don't know where to go with these two teams. I don't know where to feel good, but I don't feel lousy about either one of them. And I don't know what to make of that. 
I agree with you 100%. Mike, I just got a text from somebody. They says, Eagle Vacchiano, silver in a sea of orange this hour <laughs> with, these, with, the, with these Syracuse guys. But, no, I agree with you on the um, – on the uh, the Jets and the Giants, you don't know what to expect more so from the Giants. Cause I think that the Giants, if all goes well for them, as far as, you know, getting healthy are going to be fine. I think that, you know, you have higher expectations for the Giants. I think the injuries to this team uh, are what is, is going to do them. I mean, you look at the beginning of that schedule and we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, you've got the Eagles and the Cowboys both in prime time, two division games, sandwiched around the 49ers at Buffalo, the Redskins at home, and the Falcons at home. So you've got the Falcons, Redskins, and 49ers at home. Those are three games that if they're healthy and just execute, they should be fine. At Buffalo may be tricky with that Buffalo defense against that giant offensive line. And then Dallas and the Eagles, Giants always seem to – do okay on the road against those teams. So those first six weeks of the season, and then Dallas is week seven, you know, you, you pretty much are going to know where you stand and what kind of season you're going to have if you're the Giants. But I think that those waters are navig- uh, you know, they're going to be able to navigate that despite the injuries. And then you look at the Jets' schedule. I mean, it's going to come down to the quarterback position, as Ian said and I've said and you know, we've, we've alluded to all summer long. I mean, you open with Cleveland at home, you should, with Fitzpatrick and that defense, be able to grind out a 16-13. Colts on Monday night are going to be tough. Eagles with that offense, it's going to be your, you know, your defense's job to try to contain that. You go to London with the Dolphins, then the Redskins at home before you face the Patriots in your first test, and then you have the Raiders and the Jaguars. I mean, not that difficult of a schedule for the Jets to open the season. It's just a matter, does it mesh? Do they eliminate the penalties? And, you know, the tackling's got to be on the spot, you know, improved from what you've seen in the preseason. So you're right. It's just very hard to gauge. It's like a wait-and-see approach with these teams at this point. And there's no – and I know we've said this. There's no entertainment value with Rex anymore. So uh, as much as we miss the Snoopy Bowl – you're not hearing anybody talk about wanting to win the Snoopy Bowl trophy. Now, let me ask you, I, I'm sure because you've covered the Jets, under Rex, was the Snoopy Bowl trophy something a big deal that Woody would put somewhere in their wing of MetLife? Like, what do they do with the trophy after they win the Snoopy Well, it obviously goes in, yeah, it, I mean, we don't get to see it in the media section, but it's in their trophy case that they keep it in uh, with their one Lombardi trophy that they have. You know, it's funny, when Rex came, More remember Snoopy that Bowl. old press conference? Yeah, he he decided that you know he was going to bring the Lombardi Trophy in, and when you when I did my ode to Rex when he left uh, town, you know I said he didn't bring us a Lombardi to uh, Florham Park, but he got us a couple of Snoopies, and he also ended the career of Mark Sanchez in the Snoopy Bowl too, and one of the most befuddling decisions you ever seen. I mean, when you look at this game tonight, and we'll talk to Ralph in a couple of minutes, Ralph Vacchiano of the News and SMY TV about the Giants. This game is about not getting injured. You're going to get to see these guys probably, you know, three quarters, get the the final tune-up. You get to walk through on Thursday in the final game where basically you see the third and fourth string guys and some guys that they have question marks on special teams. But tonight is where you're going to see the starters get their chance to get the cohesiveness, to get the continuity that they're going to hope to carry over onto September 13th, uh, get some answers. I think if you see the Jets stay healthy, not 
not commit a lot of penalties, get that mental approach. Willie Colon says, we don't care about beating the Giants this week. It's about beating the Giants in December when it matters. We have a bigger agenda. So you're hearing the Jets talk about the right things. You know, this Rex would have this whole Snoopy Bowl, uh, you know, hype and everything like that these guys realize it's all nonsense it's all you know a marketing thing for MetLife the corporate sponsor this is more about you know getting ready for the regular season and you know you like Ian said you like the attitude of this team it's a more professional attitude and it's more you know business as usual let's just stay focused type of uh, approach under this new head coach anybody this preseason as you go around the league, whether it's the AFC or the NFC, any team that you're kind of like looking at and going, yeah, those guys, those guys are going to be a little better than I think they, uh, than I thought they were. I think the Raiders may surprise people, Mike, with their defense this year, and they've yeah, got some pieces in, in place. And you've got Cooper there. You've got you, you've got Cooper there, a kid from Alabama, with Michael Crabtree. He's got some people, you know, Roy Hulu, the former Redskins there, uh, you know, as a secondary, but he's got a chance to, to step up and play a little bit eventually. They might not be so bad. And I, I think Jacksonville, believe it or not, may take a step up this year. Uh, you know, they may not obviously go to a winning season, but they're not going to be, I think, that putrid three-win team that everybody circles. They're going to give teams, I think Gus Bradley and that, and that uh, has finally assembled some talent on that roster. You know, they, they lost to Fowler, the number one pick that they had, the third kid overall uh, from Florida. But I think that they have some talent on that roster for the first time to go to battle with some teams uh, this year. I think they're going to be okay. Uh, obviously the Central, I think the Vikings might take a step forward this year, Bridgewater in year two. Uh, you got eight Adrian Peterson back. Randy Moss has told me flat out AP with a year off and something to prove. Watch out, people. Uh, you know, he thinks that the Vikings are going are, are gonna to be pretty good. I know it's one of his former teams, but he basically looks at that team. And I, I do, too, as a team that was just on the cusp and I think a year under uh, Mike Zimmer uh, with that system in place. I think that, that's a team that might surprise a few people as well. Who's, who are you looking at that? might be the biggest disappointment, the overrated. What's in the overrated bin? I think Seattle may not be as good as people think that they are. You know, everyone's counting them as the class of the NFC. I think the Super Bowl hangover with Seattle, Mike, could hurt this a team. back-to-back uh, Super Bowl, even though they lost the second one, same thing like we said earlier, not easy to do that. and to do the, Especially the way you know, they the lost it and the nature that they lost it, Mike. You know, yeah. you don't lose a Super Bowl when you're on the one foot line, three, you know, three feet away from a, a, a second title, and, and make a bonehead play like that and, and live with it and not replay it over and over. I mean, think about what they have to go through to get back to that same exact point in February. You know what I mean? That hangover. They've got the they, they got the chancellor holdout. They they traded Max Unger on the offensive line. Nobody talks about that in the in the Jimmy Graham deal. Uh, they let Carpenter go to the Jets as a free agent. So that's two fifths of that line that opened up those holes for Lynch and Russell to run. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's one of those things um, that I think that they may not be as good. And then it's going to be interesting. Do the Dolphins make the step up that everybody keeps talking about? We've heard that for the last couple of years. Uh, finally, in year three with Philbin. And, and, and like Ian says, how could it not hurt the Patriots if Tom Brady is suspended for four games? Gotcha. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, Ralph Vecchiano of the Daily News and SNY will be joining us. We'll get into the Giants. Uh, 
If you want to listen to the show live or replay, go to weekendwatchlist.com. Send us a tweet at Mike Silva Media at, J- at uh, Jim Mojo Morrison. And you can check us out in the iTunes store or on our Facebook page. We'll be right back. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Every Saturday between 10 and noon, Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the Weekend Sports with a New York slant. A one-stop shop of quality commentary, hard-hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to WeekendWatchDogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Don't miss it. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Joining us, you all know him, Giants beat reporter, NFL, and Giants, Giants columnist for the New York Daily News. Uh, you can check him out on SMY. Check him out on Twitter, at RVacchianoNYDN. It's uh, Ralph Vacchiano. Uh, Ralph, you're on the line. Mike Silva and Jim Mojo Morrison. How are you doing this Saturday? I'm doing great, fellas. How are you? Oh, we're doing wonderful. Can't, Thanks for coming on with us, bud. Can't complain. Did you, go, did you go and do a spa day with Tom Coughlin yesterday? <laughs> Some people tell me that every day is a spa day for us sports writers, but uh, no, unfortunately, there were no massages or cold tub baths or whatever else, yoga classes, I guess, um, that he was offering. Uh, I'm a little more old school than that. I like my work to be a little harder than uh, some of these players nowadays. Ralph, we're talking to Ralph Pacciano of the, uh, the New York Daily News here. And uh, so, Ralph, you know, I was just talking to Mojo. And uh, we've been looking at this team, and hard to see. We don't feel lousy about the Giants. You don't feel great. I know it's preseason. Um, give us an idea. Is that a justified feeling as we go into the Snoopy Bowl? Yeah, I think so. I think they sort of are the definition right now of a mediocre team. And, you know, look, that, that's a description that probably fits 25 teams in the NFL. You know, you get a handful of teams that you know – are going to be double-digit wins, a handful of teams that you know are going to be double-digit losses, and everybody else is in this bizarre category where, you know, even though people are going to want predictions from me, I tell them anything from 10-6 and six to 6-10 six and 10 wouldn't surprise me. You know, that, that's just the sort of class that all these teams are in, and it depends on a number of factors. Uh, you know, a big one is health and whether you have enough bodies to last the season. I mean, you know, you lose Eli Manning with the Giants, you're 6-10, and 10. You, you maybe even worse. You keep him and keep his receivers and his line intact, and they can win 10 games. Uh, another factor is how does the schedule break? You know, it looks easy on paper for a lot of the year, but you know, as you know, it's it's when you play the teams. What you know, what do they look like when you face them? Are they hot? Do they have everybody? So, um, you know, it breaks as well, and that's sort of what the Giants are. They're, there's talent there. It's They have a lot of iffy talent and things that they really have to hope come together for them, and there's the potential for them to be a playoff team, but – it's the potential to go the other way as well. Ralph, we're talking with Ralph Vacchiano, New York Daily News uh, NFL columnist, Giant Beat reporter. One of the biggest concerns for the Giants over the last couple of years has been the offensive line. The two number one picks in the last three years, Flowers and Pugh, seem right now to be set for the left side of the line. 
Are they going to keep Pugh at guard? Is that going to be the, their uh, plan for him? Or do you maybe see him going to tack, back to tackle? I mean, what is their plan with those two guys, uh, Flowers and Pugh? Are they going to be the left, set of, uh, the left side of the line for years to come? I mean, what do the, the Giants envision with those two? Well, that's the plan for now. But, you know, the Giants have had a history over the years of just kind of jumbling their offensive line on a whim. And you look at the career of a guy like David Deal, and he played tackle guard on both sides. Uh, you know, there was never any real telling from year to year where he was going to go. And that could be the way Justin Pugh ends up, uh, right tackle last year, left guard this year. And who knows? They have an opening right now at right tackle because Marshall Newhouse is hurt. Jeff Schwartz is filling in, has some injuries as well. So it could always change. But that's the plan at the moment. They do think Eric Flowers is the left tackle of the future. And you know they hope that at least that side of the line will be stabilized because despite their rebuilding efforts you know, on this line, and you look at it, and they've had, in the last few years, two number one picks, two number two picks, and they've spent a little bit of money on the free agent market, yet it's still a mess. And, uh, you know, if they can at least solidify one side of it, well, you know, then it's workable. Then, you know, maybe they can add a player, maybe, you know, somebody steps up, who knows. But, uh, you know, at the moment, I don't think they want to mess with that left side because Boone Flowers have been playing pretty well throughout the summer. Now, the other area of concern, Ralph, and we're talking about Ralph Vacchiano, the secondary, particularly the safety position. I've seen reports that now that he's been released by Houston, Giants may be entertaining thoughts of bringing Stevie Brown back. Is that in the works, or what are you hearing on that front? Well, I think it's more speculation than anything, but it, it makes some sense. Uh, you know, the Giants did make an offer to Stevie Brown when he left. It was not much of an offer. Uh, you know, the idea for them was he was a diminished player who had knee issues and they weren't going to pay more than, you know, basically the minimum salary, which is why he went elsewhere. They just thought he was kind of an unspectacular guy. But you, know, you look at their situation now where they've lost three safeties for the season and, you know, their prized pick in the draft, Lane Collins, the top of the second round guy they traded up for, is dealing with a sprained knee. And, you know, now they've got to go with journeyman veterans and, and take their chances with, you know, real stretches of rookies. Um, you know, all of a sudden, Stevie Brown looks a lot better. So would it surprise me if he came back? No. Um, you know, it's not like he knows the system. It's a new defensive coordinator, but he knows the team. They're familiar with him, and, you know, he's a veteran. They could probably get cheap. So it wouldn't surprise me, but I haven't heard anything to indicate that it's definitely going to happen. Ralph, who's suppressed you the most this camp? Are there players that we're not talking about or that the fans are not – uh, looking at that you've looked at and said, you know, that, that guy's really going to help out a lot this year? Um, that's a good question. I think that on offense, the guys that have impressed me are the guys you know about. You know, Odell Beckham, Victor Cruz, uh, players like that. Uh, you know, nobody's really stepped up in the, they go three deep in running back as well. There's been no surprise guy that has stepped up on offense. Um, but there has been a couple on defense that people probably aren't talking about. Um, one is their third-round pick, Owa Odigizua, who uh, you know I don't know how deep he's going to get into the defensive end rotation, but he's got a lot of OCU Minora in him. He's got a lot of speed. Uh, really hasn't done a tremendous amount in the two preseason games, but in practice he's looked like a guy who could be a very good situational pass rusher. And I keep wondering when they're going to turn him loose to you know, really see what that potential is. Uh, he, he's a lot like Demontre Moore, another defensive end who you know, has played well this summer, but he's in his third year. So at some point he's really got to step up and do something. You know, the other guy that's kind of impressed me is a kick returner, Akeem Hunt, who was an undrafted rookie at Purdue, a running back. The Giants spent a lot of money on this guy, Dwayne Harris, this summer, uh, this spring. 
And he was supposed to be their big kick returner. He's got an incredible speed. But Akeem Hunt has been the number one kick returner. He's been fantastic at it. And, uh, you know, that can especially has been a mess for the Giants for years. If he can turn kickoff returns into a weapon, then that would be a big, big boost for this team. If that offense has to go a short field most of the time, you know, they really could score a lot of points. Ralph, last one from me. You know, we joked earlier about the spa day with Coughlin, and we know that Coughlin over the years has adjusted his style. Are you seeing differences even more so this year? You know, everyone talks about, hey, if the Giants don't finally get back into a playoff situation, this is it for Coughlin. Or is this just, you know, just the nature of uh, training camp and trying something different? Well, I don't think there's a huge difference in Tom Coughlin, the person. You know, he's talked about, he's studied a lot in the offseason of how to relate to the so-called millennials, um, which is just his way of saying he's 70 years old and has to deal with players who are – 22, 23, and he's gotten advice on how to do that. But I don't think when it comes down to it in football, dealing with younger players is different than dealing with older players. You want to command respect. Uh, you want it, They want to know whether they're going to play, and I want to be honest with them. I think he does all those things. As far as running training camp, he's definitely eased up this year, more so than I've ever seen him ease up before. But this has really been happening steadily for five or six years now, where, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's the massive injuries they've suffered or – you know, the combination with the CBA where the practices aren't as intense. Tom Coughlin isn't the general that he used to be when he was down in Jacksonville where he basically tried to drive his players into the ground. All of a sudden, he is really, I mean, some of these practices, at the beginning, some of them were barely an hour long. Uh, He doesn't do a lot of hitting. You know, now he has the spa days in as well. I, I think at this point, this is just an attempt for him to stay healthy because they've been the most injured team in football over the last... Well, definitely two years. It probably goes back about five years. And unfortunately for him, they've already got 20-something players reporting injuries, a bunch of guys who might miss tonight's game. But I think he's trying to grasp at any straw he can to keep his team intact for you know what is a really critical season for him. You can read him in the Daily News, catch him on SMY. He's all thing big blue in the NFL. Ralph Falciano joining us here on the weekend. Watchdogs. Ralph, two sidebars. I know Eli doesn't like to talk about him, but his contract situation and then the JPP situation, where do you see the Giants going forward with those two guys? Eli gets done, and what do you think is going to happen with JPP? I mean, obviously he's got to get back on the field first, but what do you see going forward with those two? You know, I I still don't really know what to make of Jason Pierre-Paul because, like the Giants, I don't know how bad his finger is. Uh, I've read the reports that uh, say he might come back um, before the first week of the season. Uh, And this isn't a shot at the reporters at all, but I I have an idea of which side of the aisle that's coming from. It's coming from JPP's camp. And the reports from JPP's camp have been steadily wrong. It began with the accident's not so serious and then became – well, he's not going to lose a finger. And then it became he'll be back in six weeks, and now it's before the first week. So I think I'm like the Giants, where I'll believe it when I see it and when I see or hear from them the extent of the damage to his finger, then maybe I'll have an idea of what's going forward. But they're not going to let go of him before then because they can always put him on what's called the non-football injury list where they don't have to pay him. And if they do, you know, they sort of have that hammer. There's no reason to just let him go somebody somewhere will sign him because he's a 26-year-old pass rusher and you don't lose the ability to sack the quarterback because you're missing one finger. So they'll they'll hold on to him because he's an asset. As for Eli Manning, it's a really interesting situation because I, I think, and everybody on both sides of this aisle, think that it will get done. He will sign a long-term deal with the Giants 
everybody around the league can pretty much pinpoint the numbers. It's going to be similar to the deals that the Steelers gave Ben Roethlisberger and the Chargers gave Phillip Rivers because Eli fits right in that category. And the Giants have to pay it because they don't have any other option if they let Eli Manning go. And yet I say that, and the last I heard of the numbers, they were a good $5 million a year apart. I don't know how far apart they were on guaranteed money, but it was a significant gap is what I had been told. And, you know, time's ticking away. So, you know, the Giants don't want to have to franchise them because the number of that is huge at the end of the year. Um, so I think it'll get done. I don't know why it hasn't been done already, and the longer it goes on, the more I start to wonder if there's something I don't understand about it um, that's holding it up. But it would be a massive mistake for the Giants if they didn't get a deal done with him, and especially since he wants to be here. So I have to assume that at some point everybody will sit down and realize it's in the best interest of both sides to, to strike a deal. Ralph, last one before we let you go. Uh, so gracious of you to come on with us here this morning. Mike asked me this last week. I took the easy way out. I said you need to take a wait-and-see approach. Giants uh, opening schedule, they got four primetime games in the first six weeks, so you're going to be working late a lot, my friend. Uh, <laughs> Dallas twice in the first uh, seven weeks. How do you envision the Giants coming out of training camp all banged up the way they are, navigating the waters early on in the season? Do you see them being able to get through the early part of the season, considering they have Washington, Philly, and Dallas twice uh, for the first seven weeks? You know, it's, it's going to really depend on how banged up they are when they come out of camp. You know, if you look at it now, um, I think that they could be in a lot of trouble. But, you know, with the guys that are out, the guys that are hurt. But, you know, they do have some hopes that players like John Beeson and Victor Cruz and Ruben Randall, uh, Jeff Schwartz, Marshall Newhouse, their offensive line, uh, they really have hopes that a lot of these guys will be back by opening day. And if that's the case, oh, no, you know, I think that Tom Coughlin will probably ease up on the during the week practices and get really tough schedule, but, um, you know, they're going to – a line that can protect Eli Manning and Victor Cruz, Ruben Randall, Odell Beckham, all firing on all cylinders, this really looks like a team that could score 30-plus points a game. And while they may give up just as many or maybe even more, you know, you score 30. So uh, it's, it's going to depend on the health and, and exactly who – is out who is in when the season begins. Uh, you know, and I'll, I guess at this point, they say everybody's going to be back, but I, like with JPP, I'm the sort of, I'll believe it when I see it guy. You, know, you think Victor Cruz is going to be ready. I never thought he'd be out this long with a calf injury. So, uh, you know, let's see him on the field before we know for sure. You can follow him on Twitter at Arvacchiano of NYDN. And if you do, you will get a little bit smarter each day when it comes to the Big Blue and the NFL. Ralph, before I let you go, what do you got coming up? Anything uh, special preview-wise or anything like that before we uh, let you go? What's going on on the Ralph Vacchiano front uh, before we let you go this morning? Well, a lot of work as usual, but uh, the week of the uh, beginning of the NFL season will have certainly our daily news, NFL preview, and predictions and all that. So that's that's the thing to watch. I don't know what date that's coming out. It's usually the Wednesday or Thursday before the opener. So one of those days, you'll get our whole staff's uh, preview of the whole league. All right. Well, I'll look forward to your giant prediction. I won't ask you for your one today because I think it's unfair based on the injuries, but we will get you down the road. And uh, like I said, you make us a lot smarter when it comes to big blue football. And uh, thanks, bro, for uh, joining us uh, on the program this morning. And my pleasure, guys, anytime. All right, Ralph Macchiano, New York Daily News. Appreciate a few minutes of his time.
final segment coming up, Mojo and I will probably riff, uh, take a little freelance approach. The number is 646-716-8187. If you want to join the conversation, send us a tweet at Mike Silva Media, at Jim Mojo Morrison, and uh, listen to the show live on replay at WeekendWatchdogs.com. We'll be right back. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Every Saturday between 10 and noon, Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the Weekend Sports with a New York slant. A one-stop shop of quality commentary, hard-hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to WeekendWatchdogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Don't miss it. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Our end of summer show, no beach chairs, no sand, no beach balls, no uh, beer and uh, scantily clad individuals. But we have a lot of sports as we celebrate the end of the summer. We've had Ralph Vecchiano on the show talking Giants, Ian Eagle talking Jets. Mojo and I went through the baseball, even a little bit remembrance of uh, Al Arbor, former And I think that should be the standout part because we do not want to get scolded by Joe when he comes back for not doing that segment, Mike. No, that's that's absolutely true. So, Mojo, yeah, this is the end of uh, our three-week run together. There'll be no show next week for Labor Day and then the start of the football season. So I guess my question is, you were on a little hiatus. Will you be joining us for the picks? Well, I, I, I certainly plan on, you know, Mike, it's funny how in media today you get a lot of stuff going on. I am going to be doing a, a local show in North Carolina bright and early on a, a local station down here, a uh, college uh, show. I'm, I do high school football. I get paid to go out and cover high school games on Friday nights because it's a very big deal. I was telling you before, you go to these press boxes that are air conditioned for high school teams with eight, 9,000 people in the stands. Friday night and they lights. Have, yeah, and they Friday have catered. I mean, Mike, they have catered food in the press box for you when you go cover high school football down here in North and South Carolina. But I, I, I'm doing some stuff for a local paper covering the games. I'll be doing some high school play-by-play uh, as well on a local station. And then Saturdays I'm going to be doing some college stuff, but I also have a show in the morning. And then my show gets done uh, early enough that I'll transition on and you know do my stuff with you and Joe and then go out and cover college football. And then I'll be doing NFL on Sunday as well. I'll be doing some uh, Panther home games uh, for the paper and uh, filing reports and doing some stuff and also trying to keep up with my Jets and Giants and, you know, our New York thing that you and I have been working on. And uh, hopefully we'll proceed with that sometime in the fall. And, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of irons in the fire and uh, a lot of work ahead. But I'm, I'm pumped. I mean, and then hopefully we're going to have a magical baseball season where uh, we'll get up to City Field for some uh, September and October uh, playoff baseball. It's really the last blow of radio. If you talk about radio, it's been a, well, not so much a quiet August, but you had the trading deadline, then you had the, the NBA free agency in July. And it was, it's been busy pretty much. And then the Rangers in the playoffs. I felt like the last couple of weeks you and I have been able to, you know, make it through a couple of shows. The NFL talk mojo this summer has really stunk from a radio point of view, other than the Geno Smith thing. 
it's been, you know, nobody wants on talk radio to talk about uh, workouts. <laughs> Unless you're a real. Well, you, you, you know, you know what it jump. is? They, they've beaten the horse to death so many times. I mean, there's only so much you can do before you actually see it happen. You know, it's like the reality. Let's wait till September 13th, September 10th, when the Patriots and the, the Steelers kick off to see, because the problem with preseason football is you don't see what you're going to see come regular season time. In essence, if you think about it, Mike, and I am made a very good point where you remember how we wrote the Patriots off in the beginning of October last year, after that Monday night in Kansas City, they were done it was over the end of the dynasty Brady's finished maybe they should go to Garofalo now he should be the guy you know when he got a couple of uh, scores in that mop-up role in the second half well realistically preseason for the NFL now if you really think about this it's the first couple of weeks of September because they don't play the A team and the first team but three quarters in the entire month of August. So you don't see the teams that are being formed and what they're going to go with until maybe week three they get used to each other, week four. Very few teams have that cohesiveness come week one because they haven't played together with the free agency and the new acquisitions and the draft picks. They're not on the field long enough and they don't work in training camp long enough because the CBN we've talked on this the last couple of weeks only allows you two and a half hours on the field in pads with these guys a day. There's no double sessions. There's no extra time that you can bring these guys on the field and work out all these different kinks that you have. So these guys have to learn on the fly. They have to learn in shorts. They have to learn, you know, everybody looks good in shells, you know, shorts and t-shirts and helmets. And when they put the pads on, it's a whole different game. And I think that's why in today's NFL, you've got to wait almost till week three till you start making an assessment going into October what you're going to see from different teams. We didn't talk about this during our baseball segment, but it does bear having a few minutes on. Any reaction to the first, oh, it's almost a week, first week of David Wright's return? I think it was great what the Mets fans did for David Wright. I thought the standing ovation uh, for David Wright was, you know, it was touching and it was well-deserved. You know, Gary Cohen, I happened to listen to it, you know, said if he, he didn't do a Wilmer Flores in Philadelphia, he probably may, may do one now more than likely based on this reception. I mean, it's nice that he's hitting the ball. You see a, a quick bat. I mean, that first home run that he hit in that first at bat, I've never seen David Wright crush a ball. I mean, that was a bomb. Yep, Granted, very it's in that little league field. Bomb. Yep. But I think that their plan with him of playing him a couple of games and resting him, you know, he's another guy. Let's have him ready uh, down the stretch. Use him as we need him. I'm not looking for him to be rested because he's tired, but just with the back injury, those things flare up. I know I have back issues, Mike, and you never know on a day-to-day basis how backs are going to react. So you don't want Wright to start getting back issues at the end of the month. And he's got the stenosis. I mean, I think what you're going to get out of David Wright, and this is where the suspetus – or Cespedes. I keep saying Cespedes. Cespedes, I should say. Cespedes, yes. Cespedes. I think the thing that you that the fans have to remember is that you have David Wright at $20 million going forward, and he is not going to be, and it's very obvious, and I know he's only back a week, he's not going to be an impact bat. He's going to be a guy that's going to pop a home run. I think his defense is going to be shaky. I know that the speed of the game created some problems in those first couple of games back. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to have a lot of singles. He's going to pop you. Maybe if he's able to play 120 games, 12 to 15 home runs, 
Um, he'll be a presence. I don't think he's a cleanup hitter. I think he's somebody that is not going to have that kind of impact uh, to a lineup. So if you're I think out, Wright and Cespedes, Mike, should be flip-flop. Put Wright, too, and put Cespedes down in the, in the uh, RBI yeah. slot. And you know what? Look, he's not going to be worth the money that you're paying him. You're almost you're all paying him for prior performance, and you weren't paying him a couple of years well, ago. Well, they did that, they did that in the Bronx to somebody, if you remember. The right. other captain. You know what? Don, Don Mattingly post-1989, 1990, that's not a terrible comparison. No. Right I know it's a narrative because of the back and all that other stuff, but not a terrible comparison at all. No, think and I think right, he looks like rejuvenated. I think he's finally excited uh, that he's, you know, all he's ever wanted to do since 06. You know, I think that, you, know, you blame the Mets, Mike, as always. I mean, you, you and I have been watching this team since what we can remember. They didn't put the veterans around him and Reyes after 06. He, they didn't get the pieces that they needed for those guys to continue to flourish. You know what I mean? They kind of had 07, 08, and then that was it. It kind of went into the toilet after that, where the Yankees, when they had their, quote, core four, although I don't consider Posada a true core four because, you know, I think Jeter, Pettit, Mariano, they always seem to supplement those guys with you know, veterans and, you know, leadership. And you know, not that those guys weren't leaders, but you know what I'm trying to say? Like, they, they was always something to go along with them. Mets didn't do that to, with Wright and Reyes, and then Reyes ultimately wound up leaving, and you left Wright basically being the only, you know, legitimate player you had in a very bad lineup, and he was the face of the franchise. Now you've given him a chance to kind of get a shot at October again, something he's been yearning for since 2006, and I think he appreciates that. You know, you only get so many chances to go for it. You know, you and I have talked about this, and we argue with the, you know, the asset guys and the let's play for next year and let's build for the future guys. We see it in David Wright. He knows his time is now. He knows his, you know, his career could be over on one swing with that stenosis there. It's time for him, and he's excited. And, you know, the Mets, this is it, Mike. We talked about it last week. This is something that this team needs to look at. Ian said it when we talked to him. This has, the, and you, you, you really hate saying this as a Mets fan over the years, this team has the makings that they can do damage in October. They've just got to approach it the right way and get all their ducks in line, and, and this team can do it. I mean, the only thing I think that really holds them back, and, and, I, and I don't want to throw gasoline on your fire, is the guy that's going to be pulling the strings come October from that right. dugout. Because, he, you know, Hannibal Lecter in the boob, I think, is very appropriate. Hannibal, Hannibal in the boob. Let's. Uh, I think we yes. got a couple of uh, callers on hold. Uh, last call six four six seven one six eight one eight seven. I will do the first one. Long Island six three one two nine five. You're on the air with Mike and Mojo. How you doing? Hello. Hello. Hey, Frank from Fort Jeff. Excuse me. Frank from Fort Jeff. Oh, Frank from Fort Jeff. How you doing? Hey, Momo there. Oh. <laughs> Who? Well, I think Mojo. if you realize, yeah, I, I, I Mojo, what, Mojo, real quick, real quick. I know it's been seven days. Did you honestly blame Rex Ryan for the seventeen penalties last week? I didn't blame him for that. And, I think you need to. I, I did, did, Mike, I did not. Thank you for the call. I did not blame Rex Ryan. I says it was a staple in Rex Ryan's defense: poor tackling and penalties were not 
something that they were very strong at in Rex's defense as well. If you look at the Jets last year, they were number one. If you remember two years ago when they were doing push-ups at practice because they were committing double-digit penalties on a week-in, week-end basis. I said it's a carryover from the Rex Ryan regime, the problem that you're seeing on the field. And Todd Bowles is doing sprinters now to try to alleviate it. And if you listen to the show when we had Brian Costello on, he said Rex never did that when they did penalties. So right, that's gotta, what I you said. Gotta, you're, picking on, you're picking on Mojo. you got to stop. Come on. I mean, yeah, I mean – I mean, come on. If you listen to what I said, I did not I blame the guy. I said it was a carryover to what we are seeing today. We saw for a number of years under Rex, despite the narrative that this guy had a, a defensive genius tag put on him. I mean, that's all I said. Penalties were Rex Ryan's forte's inopportune moment penalties, especially, were the forte of the Rex Ryan Jets. Look at the stats. Jets are up there every year in penalties under Rex. And now this guy's trying to address the problem and correct it. So it is the player's fault, but the coach needs to do something to hold them accountable. And I said it's good to see Bowles trying to address the penalty issue and the poor tackling. Two things that you never heard Rex talk about when you saw it on film. What are you going to do when Rex is 11-5 and five and 2-0 and against the Jets? I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to wake up in the morning, eat breakfast, and go about my business. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you'll understand that get, Bowles has talent this year on defense where Rex had no secondary. Not fair to compare the two guys. I'm not comparing any. I'm telling you what Rex did in six years – Speaks for itself. Bowles is going to be a different animal. It's apples and oranges at this point. I mean, what, are you going to root against Todd Bowles to do bad as a Jet fan because you want him to look bad compared to Rex? I mean, that's silly. I mean, that's actually the most asinine thing I could ever hear a Jet fan say. Well, you move Mojo, on. He had, to, he had to get his Rex defense in. We let him get his Rex defense in. I think he choked a little bit, Frank Grimes, on the uh, Frank from Port Jeff, who also goes, I guess, by Frank Grimes on Twitter. He choked a little bit on the air. He wasn't as aggressive on, at you on the air if you if, if you. Well, well, the point is, Mike, when you can address somebody face-to-face or, you know, and have the person actually respond instead of going into a tone on Twitter, which a lot of people that troll you try to do. I mean, I never, first of all, blamed Rex Ryan for the Jets' 17 penalties. I said, if you look at the the history of the Jets under Rex, I mean, remember two years ago with the push-up thing. I mean, not to repeat myself, but to sit there and now you're going to root against Todd Bowles or not give Todd Bowles credit if this team wins because he has talent and Rex didn't Rex had talent at least Rex told you he had talent last year Rex told you he had he had everything he needed and then all of a sudden he told you he didn't have everything he needed when he didn't do well you know Rex wanted to play both ways Mike Rex played both both ends he talks out of both sides of his mouth I I like Rex he's you know you said it he's a marketing genius uh but the bottom line is Rex is in Buffalo Let's see. He'll have a good defense this year. Let's see what he does with that offense with Taylor or Castle or whoever's going to be his starting quarterback, E.J. Manuel, uh, getting a shot tonight against the Steelers and uh, see what they're going to do, see what Buffalo's going to do. I mean, they probably should have a good defensive line with Rex calling the uh, plays. Buffalo, you know, they had a good defense last year without Rex. So, I mean, I don't, you know, see how Rex, but Rex will take the credit for it being a good defense again this year. Well, Mojo, what do you got coming up real quick? We've got to wrap up here. A good three-week run. Looking forward to getting you on. 
for your segments in the fall during the football season. We're taking Labor Day off. Recharge the batteries, Mojo. Ready to go out. The baseball playoff, the NFL grind, all the way well, into enjoy the your move ready, today, Mojo. buddy. Enjoy your move. Tell our good buddy, uh, Mr. RB, that uh, Mojo sends his regards and uh, hopes to hear from him one day soon in the near future. And uh, tell your uh, better half that I wish you guys all the best of luck in uh, your new home. And uh, hopefully I will be able to come up there, Mike. I, you know, I'll be able to yep. take a break from my busy fall schedule uh, doing uh, the three different footballs down here to get some uh, stuff up done up in New York. And, uh, you know, maybe pop over there, maybe uh, even reclaim my uh, jet shirt that's sitting in your closet that I left it's the last somewhere. time I spent maybe, the uh, weekend with you. Maybe I'll find it during the move, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, anyway. so it was a pleasure. Anytime you need me, I'm here for you. And uh, it was a pleasure these last three weeks, and I'm looking forward to the pick yeah. segment with you and Joe come September. For sure. Thanks, Mojo. I want to thank Ralph Vecchiano, the New York Daily News. I also want to thank Ian Eagle of CBS for joining us today. If you want to listen to the show live on replay, go to weekendwatchdogs.com. Send us a tweet at Mike Silver Media and at Jim Mojo Morrison. And check out the Weekend Watchdogs on iTunes as well as our Facebook page. Hey, have a great Labor Day next week, everybody. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the rest of the summer, what you have out there. We'll be back for the start of the NFL season. Uh, September 12th, I believe, is our next show. Till then, be well. Take care.